Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. This is State of Ukraine from NPR News, NPR's best reporting on a war that is changing the world. I'm Stephen Skeep. The United States is seeking some way to respond to atrocities in Ukraine. You may have seen the images from a Kiev suburb called Bucha. Video showed bodies in the streets after Russian forces withdrew. Survivors say that Russian troops killed civilians in recent days. Maxar satellite images show graves dug and filled and dug further in recent weeks, all of which refute Russian claims that atrocities somehow happened after they left. The U.S. Deputy National Security Advisor John Finer tells NPR, quote, accountability is going to be critically important. He says the U.S. may explore some kind of tribunal, although Russia can block direct action at the United Nations Security Council. We'll follow that debate as it develops. And we're also following the stories of people trying to reduce the human toll of war. We have two reports in this podcast, starting in Kyiv, where NPR's Alyssa Nadwerny is meeting with combat medics, including Ivanka Chobyanuk, who's often on the front lines. She's a combat doctor, and she speaks with a calm that's contagious. That's despite the stuff she's actually talking to me about. This is a very stressful situation. We have a lot of adrenaline, and we are working in our maximum limits. In 2014, she did the same job treating a lot of gunshot wounds, burns, head injuries. She's seen plenty of those these past several weeks, too. But this war, it's different, she says. The missile attacks are new. Russia trauma, it's more heavier, more difficult trauma. She says she's never seen so much compression syndrome when a body is literally crushed by something heavy, like a building. There is a lot of uh, people who's uh, under construction. So you should uh, first take all of pieces of building and uh, then just hope to find uh, a live person. I ask her how she deals with her emotions, seeing so much pain and trauma. Actually, I know that I am a very control uh, freak person. Part of that control is practical. It makes her better at her job. But she also says control is what keeps her sane, focused. The only time she lets her emotions get to her is in her first minute on a new scene. I have a fear before every mission. I'm thinking about it and what uh, could happen. What could happen to her, to her team, to the people she's treating. Every time, no matter how many times she does this, her legs shake. So when you are nervous, the leg shakes are normal. It's a usual thing. But those nerves are short-lived. She centers. After this minute, I'm just, yes, everything could happen, but uh, I'm here and uh, that's what I'm doing. So she takes a deep breath, her legs stop shaking, and in she goes to do her job. Alyssa Nadwarny, NPR News, Kiev, Ukraine.
Okay, so what is healthcare like for millions of Ukrainians outside the combat zones? Our colleague Scott Detrow went to the city of Ivano-Frankivsk, and he spent 24 hours with a doctor in a hospital there. Dr. Roman Fischuk told him that a former conference room is now an intensive care unit because it's in the basement, a bit safer from missile strikes. Once again, the hospital and staff has figured out how to keep moving to keep working. You cannot get used to war, but you have to adapt, you have to live your life, you have to go back to work, uh, even though keeping in mind that something can hit you. In an office upstairs, you can see that flexible mentality in action. That's where Roman volunteers for a nationwide medical hotline set up by the Ukrainian government. That was actually the hotline that was created for covid initially, but then they readjusted it to the war. Doctors field calls from patients all across Ukraine. Many are calling because they just can't get to their regular doctors anymore. The software on Roman's desktop computer shows an incoming call. So you see, and they see this is a call for a pulmonologist, but uh, yeah, right. He's able to quickly link her with someone who could be more helpful than he can as an ENT. In this moment, Roman feels useful. That isn't always the case working the hotline. Very early on, he got a call from a woman whose adult son had been shot in the head. He was in a hospital, but he needed more serious treatment. He's just dying in front of her. They won't transport him from from the intensive care unit uh, because they, they say that the risk is too high that he will die. And she's asking, what do I do? What do I do? Tell me what to do. Roman had no idea. He gave her numbers for local hospitals. He tried to help her reach out to private medical facilities. He logged all the details so other people who work on the hotline could see them. I think it will stay with me for the rest of my life. Because, you know, I've experienced this as the operator on the hotline. I'm not that person on the, on the other side of the line. Because that's, you know, the, 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 this is the first time probably in my life when it's difficult for me to find the words. Uh, so right now it's Saturday morning. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't get much sleep because of the air raid siren during the night. It's the next morning, and Roman is driving an hour and a half outside the city to give an injection to a patient in one of his clinical trials. This would usually be done at the hospital, but since the war has started, those patients aren't allowed there. So Roman goes to them. If they miss a dose, their treatment stops. Good morning. You see? Stepan Tomaschuk is 66 and has obstructive pulmonary disease. Sit down, please. He lifts his shirt, and Roman swabs his stomach with alcohol before giving him an injection. Stepan's wife, Helena, brings out instant coffee. The war has affected her medical treatments, too. She needs thyroid replacement therapy, which is in short supply at pharmacies right now. So her son has been trying to get them from Poland. For now, she and Stepan say they're doing okay. They go to church every day at 3 o'clock to pray, and they're able to enjoy the little things, too, like cognac in the morning. Hey, 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 budmo. For peace and friendship. Roman, who does not partake, will be back in a few weeks for the next injection. Right now, he's got to turn around and drive another hour and a half. He has more appointments to keep. By late afternoon, he's back in his car yet again, this time doing something a little less medical delivering cigarettes to soldiers. He bought them with his own money. I will not start lecturing them on how smoking is bad for your health. You know, at that time when you can die 
because of the airstrike, you know. He pulls into a parking lot next to a military base. A pickup truck with two Ukrainian soldiers pulls up, they hop out, and pass off cartons of cigarettes to the back of the truck. And then he's off again. Yeah, that's that. That's like <laughs> monthly worth of my salary, and that's just in, in, in those cigarettes. But for Roman, it's worth it. You know, that's one of the ways I can support the, the guys who are in the military. I mean, I'm not there myself, so I try to help as uh, much as possible being in the till. He says the Ukrainian word for the opposite of the front line. The back line or something like that. As a doctor, I try to do things that I can do. And uh, as a regular citizen, uh, try to help the soldiers as, and provide them with what they need or want. For Roman and a lot of other Ukrainians, that so-called backline is a busy one. He drives back into town. Another air raid siren goes off. Dr. Roman Fischuk will keep working for the rest of the weekend. That's our colleague Scott Detrow in Ukraine. This is State of Ukraine from NPR News, NPR's best reporting on a war that is changing the world. You can get regular updates in this feed. Ziad Butch is our producer. Kelly Dickens is our editor. And I'm Stephen Skeep. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. When you're home shopping as a parent, you have lots of questions about local schools. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools, including photos, parent reviews, student-teacher ratio, school rankings, and more. The information is from multiple trusted sources and curated by a dedicated in-house research team. It's also you can make the right decision for your family. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com NPR. In any great story, there's a moment that sparks your curiosity tells you there is more to uncover. How how did this happen? How did we get here? That's where Embedded comes in. We are NPR's home for documentary journalism. Immersive and intimate stories. I was stone cold speechless. Nothing will ever, 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 ever be the same here. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.